And welcome to Ego Exposed, Episode 2. Uh, I'm your host, Jonathan. I've got my guests, Connor and Josh, uh, with me today. Connor, will you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Hey, I'm, uh, I'm an acupuncturist. Uh, I'm currently studying for my master's in acupuncture and oriental medicine. And um, I am a certified herbalist, so uh, the sort of health route seems to be my path. And I've studied the occult and stuff like that for a few years, and I found myself in this slack with you guys in Holofractal, and I love it. And, uh, yeah. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, these two guys are from uh, the Holofractal slack. And, Josh, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm a fourth-year university student. I'm studying uh, international policy and global affairs. Um, and then also on the side, just super interested in uh, unified field theory and quantum mechanics and, uh, you know, brainwave entrainment and uh, all kinds of other cool stuff. Sweet. And that's, uh, that's one of the things we're going to be talking about today. Uh, we're going to be talking about some uh, ways that you can develop yourself uh, through meditation, uh, self-hypnosis. We're going to be talking a little bit maybe about uh, the gateway method. Uh, some other cool stuff, tricks that you can do to uh, change your, your brain waves, essentially. Uh, yeah, so I guess the first one of those is uh, meditation. So, Or uh, we should probably talk about the different types of brain waves first. So what are they, like alpha, beta, beta, delta? Yeah. Um, you want me to run through those real quick? Yeah, yeah. If you're, I mean, you probably know more about it than I do. So uh, there's different bands of frequencies of brain waves that have been correlated to different states of mind. Um, so take it like, for instance, the way I explain this to people is right now we are in beta because, uh, we're awake, we are conscious of our environment. We're having thought after thought after thought. <clears throat> it takes beta brain waves to maintain that level of consciousness. Uh, there's also gamma waves going on, which are even higher, higher level, um, thinking and processing. I think, I think, so the ratio for, uh, I'm sorry, the, the, the band for gamma waves is anywhere from like. I think maybe as low as like 25 or 30 on up to 40 or 100 even. So 40 plus uh, hertz uh, frequencies per second or cycles per second. Uh, 25 to about 12 or so is what you would consider to be in the beta range of awakening consciousness. So and then like if you're reading a book, say if you're about to go to sleep, um, as your thoughts sort of slow down and kind of the whole brain mechanism is kind of kind of uh, slowing down, you're entering an alpha state. So that's going to be anywhere from like 12 to 8 hertz, um, maybe uh, 12. Like a state of focus, I guess, or like when you're studying or reading, like you said? It is, but it's a really relaxed state of focus. 
Um, and then theta, um, theta is from like six or seven or eight to, to I believe like three or four. And this is um, uh, hertz. And whenever I'm using these numbers, I'm talking about hertz. I'm talking about cycles per second. Um, it's a measurement of frequency. So what, what's, um, if I could ask, what's cycling? What are we measuring when we're talking about these waves? We're measuring action potential. So we're measuring the rate at which neurons are firing. And it's kind of an odd thing to even measure in the first place because it's not like you've got one neuron over here and one neuron over here and they're, you know, one's firing because so, I have one electrode over here. When you put an EEG, uh, when you put electrodes on your brain and, and measure EEG signals, you're measuring, you know, billions of neurons. Um, and when we read those frequencies, we're reading the culmination of those. So an EEG pattern looks like a mess. It's like a ton of different frequencies. But um, And we don't even really know what, you know, parts of the brain we're measuring when you think about it. I mean, they're just stuck on the outside of the head, right? They are stuck on the outside of the head, but thankfully there's a there's a uh, there's like a local effect going on. So um, you'd notice that certain frequencies are associated with optical processing in the octopus in the back of the head, and certain frequencies are associated with um, the higher order processing at the front of the head. So um, and in fact, I think for our purposes and for you know cognitive enhancement and those kinds of things, we're pretty much most interested in the front of the head and the prefrontal cortex. Um, and then, uh, and just to finish that off, the uh, the last, uh, for, you know, theta is associated with um, with with dreaming. So, uh, so you know, alpha is like reading, beta is like being awake, gamma is like doing philosophy, right? But um, theta is like being a child. So, it, it, what they what they've shown is that um, until about the age of um, early, like before puberty, like I want to say like six, seven, eight, something like that, you're um, Children's entire lives are spent in theta. This is why my entire childhood was spent in Star Wars, you know, with lightsabers. And they were there, you know. So, I mean, when you're a kid, your imagination and the, the power of your imagination is very real because of the power of this theta brainwave. We don't develop alpha brainwaves and beta brainwaves like that until later on. Um, and then uh, sub, sub theta and delta frequencies would be like uh, dreamless sleep. Dreamless sleep, so that's like a state of being in the void. Would you say that uh, children live in an almost dreamlike state throughout their childhood? Then, yeah, that's uh, that's exactly right. I mean, and I mean empirically, that was my certainly my experience. That's pretty cool. So I think that's most people's experiences. I mean, when you're a kid and your imagination is just running wild, uh, you know, like you never really have that that power of imagination again for the rest of your life. And that's because of those state of brainwaves. Uh, so talking about these different brainwave states, let's talk about how to get into them. Josh, you are, in my opinion, like top notch on the meditation as far as consistency, at least. <laughs> so I feel like That's awesome Josh. I've been at it for a while. I mean, I'm I'm impressed with I mean just your your knowledge, the the things I hear you talk about in your experience. But anyway, uh, would you like to talk about? maybe some of these different states that you're in and, and how they relate to the different frequencies that we just discussed? Yeah, definitely. Like, um, I've never really thought about it in terms of uh, brainwave states. Um, like my first experience with meditation was, I don't know, maybe five years ago. 
um, I had just kind of like learned about what the basic premise of it was, which is just uh, the act of thinking about nothing and not, not just, not just thinking about nothing, but like thinking about nothing without thinking about nothing. Cause if you're mm -hmm. thinking about nothing, you're thinking about something, right? Exactly. Like just, so basically the idea is to just space, make, make spaces between your thoughts, which normally, as you were saying before, uh, just run consistently all day, every day, mm -hmm. everybody stops thinking and then all they all they do is think about thoughts and then they kind of run into these uh loops that never end um and so yeah i, I uh, kind of learned what that was and i tried uh tried it for maybe five minutes um and i felt something like uh and i could see really like faint um kind of purplish colors behind my eyes and I don't know it was that that moment like I was like oh there's something to this and uh, since then I've kind of just been chasing uh, deeper and deeper states um, so you're sensitive then sorry so you're sensitive then you're sensitive to those brainwave states definitely that, yeah. yeah that's a gift man that's that's really great that's something that not everybody has it yeah. seems like it, yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. I guess it's one of the things I seem to have uh, some kind of aptitude for. And I mean, it's definitely not easy for anybody. Like it, like it sounds a lot easier than it is to just. It's like, oh yeah, turn your thoughts off, and it's like, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like shut your heartbeat off consciously. Right. But um, it's not impossible. No, um, it's not. I think the the older you you get, though, it is maybe the harder to start just because we've had uh, so many years of programming and conditioning about, you know, thinking about things all the time that, uh, you know, it's just, it's habit and, and our minds are chattering all the time. It's hard to turn that off. You have to be able to uh, get to that state where your, your thought patterns are a little bit more malleable. When you're a kid forms and then as you grow older, it kind of sets itself into certain patterns that, you know, you can't be relieved from without really conscious effort and, yeah, it's not easy. I mean, so you you definitely notice. Uh, I guess let's let's talk about the practical uh, reasoning behind why we'd want to know this information. I mean, you, you do you see an improvement since you've started meditation in like your day to day life? I mean, do you feel like a better person now? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like like I learned how to be happy, and like most people think that like there's just there's happy people and then there's unhappy people, but. Yeah. Um, it's not something that you're necessarily born with or without, uh, and it's something that you can learn like day to day. I'm like a, I have a lot of stuff going on. Like I'm busy all the time. Like my schedule's nuts. I should be losing my mind from the amount of stress that I'm under realistically. Like I should be, but I'm not like I, I'm. Uh, super good at just like handling things really well and like I don't know in that regard and then just being generally sharp and on point and you know able to take on tasks and and achieve things that I probably wouldn't have been able to do beforehand it's also a, a, just me getting a little bit older but developed like aptitudes that I, I was not like naturally gifted with. I think that we can agree that 
that's a positive effect. Um, I, I've definitely seen positive impacts as well. So, and it's, yeah. I was going to say, it's, <laughs> it's funny, like, for me, um, I, I've meditated for a few years now. I meditated even back in middle school and stuff. But um, for a lot of us to practice, you come in and out of the practice, and you go through phases of your dedication to it. But um, for me, I feel like, and we'll get yeah. into the topic of yeah. self-hypnosis. We'll get into the topic of self-hypnosis, but I feel like... I'm on the phone. Um, I'm on the phone. That's, <laughs> I feel like... Uh, Sorry. The key, that's okay. That's cool, like man. The key for me is is this aspect of auto-suggestion or self-hypnosis. And I know that the cognitive effects are there and the, the cognitive enhancement and the stress reduction and stuff is there. But what I've found is sort of like what uh, Josh was saying, um, not, not just being happy, but like reprogramming myself. I mean, because when you enter these deep states, your unconscious mind is more accessible to you. So you can use this vulnerability of your unconscious mind to reprogram it and that's that gets into where there's different styles of meditation different goals of meditation are you just trying to have no thoughts or are you using this state of mind you know to your will yeah it's definitely something that i mean you can get to that state and then use it for for positive change as well you know use it like you said to reprogram yourself and I didn't mean to say earlier that it was uh, impossible to get to that state. It's hard to get started, but yeah, uh, oh, no. I think once you do start, um, it you know becomes easier almost every time to eventually quiet your mind and everything. Not all Definitely. of us are like Josh, though, that uh, has these breakthrough experiences of colored light the first time we sit. You know, so I wouldn't I wouldn't expect for most people for that to be. Don't yeah, and you know, I think most people do expect that, though, going in. Um, I mean, when I was little and, and reading about it, you know, I expected it to an extent. You read about these Tibetan monks who can levitate rocks and shit, and, you, you know, you yeah. sit down on the floor, and you cross your legs, and you you do the little oh, okay rocks. sign, and, and close your eyes, and you're like, uh, the, I gotta pay the bills tomorrow, and, and I got homework to do, and, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to be having a quiet mind, and all I can think about is that I can't have a quiet mind, and... You know, I wake up and I was like, well, shit, I've been sitting on the floor for five minutes. I don't feel any different. But, you know, that's normal. That's to be expected. And I think people have higher expectations than that going in, even though they say they don't. It, uh, yeah, it definitely requires a lot of uh, discipline. Um, and, like, I got, like, really into it. Like, I've, I don't know, at one point was I think I was meditating for 10 to 12 hours a day for a good uh, eight weeks. Yeah, and see, that's not possible for everybody either. I mean, did you have a job at that point, or were you in school? The only way that I had that opportunity was because I was, yeah, in school. Yeah, so it's... At that time, I wasn't... Sorry, go ahead. ...school, right? Um, Like, I was like school was just kind of at that point getting in the way of my uh learning um but yeah so it's not i mean it's not really realistic for a lot of people especially a lot of uh people in the west here um unless you're willing to you know take the time out of your life to go and do it which 
I would argue is probably one of the most valuable things anybody could do. Yeah, what, there's that saying. What is the saying? It's like uh, uh, meditate for 20 minutes every day unless you don't have the time, in which case you should meditate an hour. Yeah, it's, it's hard for a lot of people. Uh, I mean, it's hard for me. I try to do it early in the morning first thing because it just kind of sets a good tone for the rest of the day. And uh, I find if I don't do it first thing, then I'm much more likely to not do it at all. I keep, as like we're talking flossing. about this, I keep, I, I keep thinking about the gateway experience. Because I'm, uh, Josh, you've apparently gone all the way. Uh, Jonathan, I think you and I are still working on it. I'm on wave, what am I on, wave two at this point? I mean, I've had, you know, this is not my first run-in with meditation, and it's not my first run-in with hypnosis even professionally i see a professional hypnotherapist and that that experience has also changed my life i feel like the suggestions given to you in this gateway experience are so profound you know and being able to to put your your troubles away and into a box and then close it you know is such a good is such a good technique yeah i'm still on uh, wave one and and we're talking about the uh the hemi sync gateway uh experience uh, which is a meditation program that was uh, developed, y'all are going to have to help me out with the story. It was developed by the CIA or, or sponsored? No, Robert Monroe is a guy who, um, I guess in the 50s, I, I forgot his, some of his history. He, used, he owned a broadcasting company or something like that, and he was trying to figure out how to teach people how to learn kind of like subliminally during sleep. And I think part of the, the, the story associated with Robert Monroe is they came across binaural beat technology. In which they they've kind of locked you know locked onto that. They've also coined the term out of body because of Robert Monroe's experiences. So he he was the CEO, I guess, of this company. I'm probably botching a lot of this, but he um, he started having out of body experiences. And it, and at this time, and I think this was during the 50s. Josh, do you know when this was? Um, I don't Robert. actually know what the inception story of it of it was. I should look um, into that. But well. And I, I was just listening to a uh, interview with him as a refresher, but I have read all of Journeys Out of the Body, and Journeys Out of the Body was—I mean—it was paradigm shifting for me because the extent to which, if you take what he says in the in that book seriously, it is truly profound. It, it's the first series; the first book in a three-book series of him cataloging his out-of-body experiences. So he started having these out-of-body experiences, and and he sort of became like a pioneer, and that's part of his whole. Um, and I don't mean this in bad. This is well, okay. It's part of his persona, is that um, he popularized this idea and this possibility of out of body travel. And um, and so what they did is they came up with this program. It's called the Gateway Experience. It's a set of CDs, and um, it was studied by the CAA, which is which is interesting. But the CD CDs run you through a series of hypnosis. They're hypnosis tracks, and then. Underneath that, there's a there's a background of binaural beats and white noise and stuff like that. So let's um real real quick let's uh can you define what a binaural beat is? Yes, I can. Um, so so we were talking about this topic of brainwave entrainment too. We may have to define that one too because as I was talking about these brainwave frequencies earlier, it turns out that I like to think of it as like the reason why shamans beat their drum. Like if you listen to Native American music. It is very monotonous. It's doom, 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 doom. You know, there's not really, um, there's not really a lot of variation like we have music. Our, our music, with all of our complex percussion, does create brainwave entrainment. But the idea is that when you have a beat, 
So if I snap my fingers, part of your temporal lobe, part of where your, your, your brain processes sound, it lit up when I did that. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. So if I have a series of uh, what's called evoked potentials, it's like if I flash lights in your eyes or clap my hands, it's going to evoke an action potential on your brain. If you have a series of evoked potentials like that, you are entraining those neurons in the brain to all fire in synchrony. You're, tra you're training those neurons to fire at the same time. And that can have some really interesting effects. It's no different than why we like music. It may be no different than why we tap our pencils or tap our legs on the ground, you know, to kind of entrain our brain back to where we are. Maybe we're expressing what frequency we're, we're dominant in in that moment that we're tapping our pencil or tapping our foot. So a binaural beat is, is this technology, I say technology, it's actually very simple. It's a technique where you have, so if I had a 100 hertz tone in my, um, ooh, and Jonathan, it'd be real cool if you like overlay this as I'm saying this. <laughs> so, if, so if we, uh, if we had say a 100 hertz tone, or let's make that a little higher so it's a little more, a little more accessible. So like a 333 hertz tone um in one ear and then a uh what would what would be like a 300 and uh say 43 hertz tone in the right ear there's a there's a difference of 10 hertz the idea is that the difference between the left and the right tones in in hertz in frequencies so if there's a 10 hertz difference between the frequencies then your brain will create a 10 hertz wave a 10 hertz frequency between the way that the way the uh, the Monroe Institute um, explains it is it's actually between the hemispheres of your brain, which um, the mechanics of, of the way binaural beats work are not, not really well understood, but that's the idea. So by let's say if I'll just do my example of 100 hertz and 110 hertz, by there being a 10 hertz difference between the left and the right ears, and uh, creating a 10 hertz signal in the brain, you are entraining the brain. Again, there's that beating, like the evoked potential, the snapping, the clapping, the tapping, right? Um, you are creating a 10 hertz um, uh, frequency in the brain, and 10 hertz falls in the range of alpha. So you would, um, a product of that would be inducing an alpha brainwave state. Is that a long enough explanation? Yeah, no, that that's good. And um, Josh, uh, is there anything you want to add in there? Pretty much. Um... If you look back, like from a sort of high perspective, every religious discipline will involve some kind of uh, resonant aspect to it, like whether it's Catholic churches or Tibetan singing bowls or uh, Islamic Quran recitations. There's the uh, yeah. Buddhist gong drums. Yeah, like sound is something that is a really, really big keystone in attuning yourself to higher states of, of consciousness and it's something that it's a it's you know global too every ancient religion seemed to have figured it out in some way uh and then basically what the gateway experience is is it is it's taken bits and pieces of kind of every uh meditation technique uh from way back and kind of stripped them of any dogmatic uh, references so it, it's relatively I don't I want I don't want to call it secular but mm -hmm. like it's not 
I don't know. You definitely don't like have that. Like you're pulling the mystical out feel. of it. Yeah. Right. The it tries to like it's a, it, he he really turned it in meditation and these sort of mystical experiences into more of a science than anything. Although it's I mean it's interesting when you look at the techniques that are espoused in the gateway experience. We have these. Um, this you know resonant tuning some of so some of it is it has like a like a mystical um undertone but it it kind of like there's a little bit of room left in it for you to make your own meaning out of it um i do i do find that aspect of it quite interesting i think it can also help us kind of understand our previous cultures as well you know we can uh, manufacture these states and induce these brain waves and it kind of gives us an insight into, you know, what, why they might have ascribed meaning to them, you know, religious meaning and, and supernatural meaning uh, without necessarily understanding it from a mechanical perspective like we do today. Right. If you're if you're beating on a drum, like if you listen to uh, some of these drumming rituals, it is it's actually perfect for it. And it's actually it's a low frequency. It's doom, 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 doom. And that's a that's a pretty low frequency on, to be beating on the scrum, and if that's you know if that falls in the range of theta, which I think it might, um, you are inducing a dreamlike state while you're doing this, and, and the act of beating on this drum, the act of beating on this drum using it's your like, muscle, uh, trance music. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is very much. And, and Jonathan and I have been listening to some pretty good trance music, and, and it does the it field induces, and uh, yeah, some other stuff. Sorry, go ahead. The field is great. Yeah, the field is great. Musician. Yeah, that's good stuff. So, so the um, the experience of say beating on this drum and feeling this, and say that like if you had trance music, if you're in a club or whatever, and you had this house music or trance music cranked up really loud, then that thumping it stimulates your nervous system to a frequency. I mean, you are by giving your body that uh, by stimulating it at a frequency you are invoking a response and in psychology 101 it's called an evoked potential when you flash a light or when you thump something you know you evoke a potential so that's what this is it's a series of evoked potentials and if you're evoking potentials at a theta state um that's a dreamlike state so um there's no uh, it's no wonder that you would eventually cross over maybe into another if you can really reach a really deeply dominant theta dominant state in your brain there's no wonder that you couldn't um, cross over into another what you might consider another dimension or something and I think even if you don't want to get you know too out there and, and if you're a little scared of getting into woo woo land you can use this for putting yourself into a mode of um, uh, suggestion like if you're trying to quit cigarettes right. or That's you know right. kratom or drinking or anything any behavior that you're doing that you want to change uh you can use possibly we don't really know these binaural I, well, beats I, I mean i think i think that's there's a lot of credence to that i think that that's um i mean i personally in my experience with meditation it may have to do with my cognitive style um jo like for instance in josh's case he was, you're just able to go there but for me um, my cognitive style is really, I mean, I'm, I'm going and going and going and going and going. So for me to shut up my brain, quite, it's quite the task. Instead, if I make my objective to 
be telling my brain what to do. So it's not necessarily that I have to shut my brain up or stop these thoughts. It's just as long as you are um, in training your brain with these new thoughts and you're saying, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to be. This is how I want to feel. This is where I want to go. You're engaging in this auto-suggestion, self-hypnosis. It's also called neuro-linguistic programming. And all, really all that is, neuro-linguistic programming, is a fancy word that has some semantic you know, implication for what you're doing. It's neuro-linguistic programming. You're using language to program your, your neurology, your personal schema, your map of the world. And, you know, yeah, I think, if, I think inducing a theta state, I mean, that's what, you know, when you, like sometimes when I'm in the, um, in the chair uh, with my hypnotherapist, I lose it. I mean, I'm, I'm out. I am out. So there's no doubt that, um, and I'll lose it, you know, in, in the bad sense, but I'm, I'm gone. Like I'm, it's a blackout basically. And I don't wake up until I'm told to. Um, during those states, there's no doubt that I'm in a deep, deep, deep uh, theta or even delta state. Um, I think that that's exactly what he's doing. And in those states, your unconscious is more... It's, it's interesting, like, once you, um, once you are at it for long enough, like, you stay in these states all day, every day. Like, your, your life just becomes a meditative state, doesn't matter what you're doing, uh, which is cool. You know, and I've heard it's almost legendary. I've heard, I've heard of that being the case. I haven't quite... I'm not quite there yet, Josh. One day... It, it minimizes the ups and downs and then eventually you know the yeah the nirvana state is where that you're just in pure synchronicity with the other wave forces that are around you oh that's awesome so i think we can also um you know talk about how we might could use these frequencies to kind of you know to our benefit you know how, how to use them to do different things to our ourselves and our perspective and you know, even if we want to say shifting reality, you know, is shifting reality just anything more than a change of perspective? You know, is it how we view the world? First off, yeah, meditation for sure changes your personal perspective on the world, which uh, can have in and of itself some profound effects on just like how you respond to things going on in your life with what's going on in the sort of, sort of new field of uh physics and the new things that we're understanding is that the observer and the reality that is around them are not necessarily separate from each other and they're not necessarily as rigid as we normally think they are. And so meditation, uh, in my experience and uh, my understanding, is a way of making your reality uh, less rigid. So for the, I don't know, for the record, like I, I was brought up in a very like secular scientific type of, I don't know, schooling and upbringing. Like I, I had never had uh, any kind of religion kind of pushed on me or uh, anything like that. So beforehand, I was just like super materialist minded, uh, scientific, that kind of deal. But once you look into the, uh, you know, smallest of small things like quantum physics and and whatnot you can't hold on to beliefs of the world being solid that you had beforehand um yeah like if you look at there's a, a cool experiment called um the double slit experiment where scientists fired protons or sorry electrons at a wall and the wall had two slits in it and they marked the patterns 
that were uh, shown as these electrons, you'd normally expect there to be two lines of electrons that would that would show up on the wall behind these these uh, slitted walls. And so that's what happened, or sorry, that's not what happened. After they fired these electrons through, what they got was an interference pattern of waves. And the only way to explain that would be as if the electrons were passing through both slits at the same time. And so they set up a, I don't know, it was a recording device next to this the slitted wall to see which slit these electrons were actually passing through. And when they did that, the electrons uh, behaved as if they were solid and they only passed through one of the two slits. And so basically what that means is that as a conscious observer, you have a direct effect on the uh, structure of the world around you. And in a, a normal uh, brainwave state, that would be a world that is very solid and rigid and structured. And so what I would argue is that in meditative states where you're shifting your focus away from everything that is physical, and you're shifting all of the sensory inputs inward, uh, or trying to at least reduce them to nothing. That's that's basically the goal of meditation: is to just turn off every sensory input that you have, uh, including the ones that your brain is feeding to itself. And so, in that regard, if you can if you can do that, you're uh, in theory making the world around you a little bit more wave-like uh, and a little bit more it gives it the ability for you to make impressions on it by focusing your intent away from it, away from the outside world. When you stop observing things, particles become behave more like waves and less like solids. Uh, and so, yeah, it, in theory, you can change things going on around you. Mm -hmm. um, I would encourage anybody who's interested in this to look into... Um... Dean Radin, who's the, uh, I believe he's the like director of research or something like that at the Institute of Noetic Sciences. He's the guy who's done a lot of uh, research on a um, single photon lasers in a double slit version, uh, a version of the double slit experiment, experiment where people are basically asked to remote view inside this uh, laser chamber, and uh, what he's found is that they they thereby change. Uh, they change the direction of the laser with their consciousness. So they they are inducing the observer effect from outside of the box um, and manipulating this this interference pattern on the other side of the wall by projecting their consciousness onto it. And of course, this is interesting because yeah, um, and, and I'm, there's 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 been experiments done with uh, the the random number generators at, yes. at Yale. I don't know. They basically they have these random number generators that. They got people to focus on, uh, and when that happened, I guess random number generators started behaving less randomly. Yeah, there's a there's a book, um, and I really, I mean, I'm, I just am so emphatic about this book as sort of like a uh, meta analysis of all uh, psi, pretty much of all psi phenomena up till 2008. I mean, it's a really comprehensive look at all this stuff: telepathy, psychokinesis, remote viewing. Um, uh, all this stuff, and it's by Lynn McTaggart. It's called The Field. It's called The Field. And in it, she goes and all that. Really, I mean, Josh, would you agree? To me, it was, I, what I did is I listened to it in, in 10 hours. 
I got it on audiobook and I just oh, really? stormed through it in 10 hours. I mean, I am wild about that book really since I've listened to it. Yeah, and it's, it's pretty like digestible. For me now, like I talk about these things as if it's like totally normal. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> just because it's like, but like the, these things are like, it's absolutely insane. It is, yeah, man. The, and the I, other and thing is like that, that uh, the, the CIA document that Dr. Bentov, I don't know if he wrote, I think it was his. Um, yeah, basically it's addressed to him. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's Hack Bentov. I don't, I'm not sure if that's the correct pronunciation. Yeah, I, I have yet to get into Bentov. I, um, I'm a fan of Monroe and, and we were just talking about Dean Radin and all this kind of stuff, but I have, I have yet to go down the Bentov train. Well, I will tell you, you, you should, uh, you should read his book, um, uh, what it's on the mechanics of consciousness. Uh, I'll put a link to it, but, uh, yeah, I have, I have it in PDF form. Gosh, it's I actually read that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, he just breaks it down <laughs> to such an understandable level for the layperson, And, you know, it gets into some, some complex terms, but for, for someone that's, you know, learned or educated, it, it'll make a lot of sense, I think. Um, but he really just kind of breaks down how particles act as waves and, you know, how those waves interact with each other and explains the, the holographic theory uh, behind, you know, how, how the universe could potentially be projected or created. Um, that mm -hmm. it's a holographic reality based on the interaction of light and particles. And I'm, I'm going to butcher it, so I'm not going to try to explain any further than that. But uh, I, I would like to add just one thing. The way I, you mentioned the double slit experiment, how I always uh, like to envision it in my mind is uh, Samus from Metroid with the wave beam. And she's, uh, she's shooting it at the wall, and the wall's got the two slits in it. And some of the wave beam, those are the electrons, go through and hit on the other side. But, uh, yeah, I like Metroid. <laughs> I love Metroid, but I don't, I don't know if I got that one, but I love Metroid. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> It's super cool. Like Ben Bentov, yeah, he he really communicates it as if you're like a five year old. And really? Well, he dropped out of school at like fourth grade, uh, at the fourth grade yeah, level, and then he educated himself the rest of the way. Yeah, and man, yeah. I can't imagine the world like if if every fourth grade kid was, you know, studying that. Yeah. Like, damn. Like we're sort of at the forefront of this, but uh, it's going to be very mainstream, I think, in the next decade when there's billions of people that are. I don't know. They they understand these things. Like we're gonna see some pretty dramatic shifts in the way the whole, you know, world functions. I like that optimism. Yeah. Well, I think it's arrogant of us to think that we have it all figured out too. We don't. I don't know anything. It's like every few hundred years, there's a huge shift in in what we think we know about the universe. You know, we we thought that that Earth was the center of the universe. We thought the Earth was flat. We thought that, you know, and then we found out that was wrong. It, it, the sun's the center of our universe. And then, no way, no, it's not the center of our universe. It's the center of our, our galaxy. And then, you it's know. Stepping stones. Yeah. You know, so for us to think that we, we know everything now, you know, 200 years from now, 400 years from now, we're going to look back and be like, those guys in the Middle Ages. Yeah. Oh, my God. The only thing that I have learned is that I, I don't know anything is basically what the... Yeah, the, I don't know. The more I know, the dumber I get. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's Taoism. That's in the Tao Te Ching. That's. Uh... But but the and the feeling is that you know, 
Yeah, I'm on to something. <laughs> <laughs> and you may not ever be able to qualify it or really explain what it is. That's this mystical gnosis, you know. I don't think I'll ever know the answer. I think I'll there there will always be another question. So if I want to be at peace, then I just well, have to stop searching it's... for knowledge. Every, every time you peel back a layer, there's another uh, something that contradicts something the other thing that you knew before. Yeah. The search for truth. Is the truth out there? Uh, yeah. Oh, really? You can get it. <laughs> no, I, I think that's a, a great deep thought to uh, end the episode on. Anybody who tells you they know is lying. What, what's right. that book? Right. If you see the Buddha, kill him. <laughs> I need yeah. to read it. It's on my to-read list. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks, Connor, and thank you, Josh. Uh, thank you, everybody at Holofractal. Uh, visit our Holofractal on Reddit and uh, see what the hell we're talking about. Uh, anyway, that's it for this episode of Ego Exposed. And, uh, guys, do you want to have anything you want to add? Last thoughts? The Tao Te Ching says, the one who does not speak, uh, the one who knows does not speak, one who speaks does not know. The wise man shuts his mouth and closes his gates. His gates. So close your gates, guys. Just close your fucking gates. <laughs> and here we are uh, on this podcast. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Josh, go yeah, ahead. I just want to say thanks. Thanks, Jonathan, for um, for for having us, and thanks, Josh, for coming on. This has been fun. You're quite well. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, I don't know who's listening, but uh, you should learn how to meditate and you should uh do a uh do a favor for someone tomorrow amen that's uh words to live by all right well thanks guys and uh we'll catch you next episode whenever that might be all right take it easy Don't take care later